Welcome to the Politics of Truth with me, Bob Crawford. This program is brought to you by Osiris Media, a network that connects you more deeply with the music you love. I'm a dad and a husband first, but out in the world, I'm a professional musician and a political junkie. For those that know me, this connection between politics and music is natural. So each week, I'll be speaking with top-notch political reporters, policy experts, and musicians about what's at stake in this seismic moment of cultural change. My guest this week is J.D. Shelton, the Democratic candidate for Congress in Iowa's 4th District. J.D. grew up in Sioux City and traveled the world as a professional baseball player before taking an unexpected turn into politics in 2018. Without any political experience, he took on incumbent Steve King, who for 15 years has been the face of white nationalist immigration policy on Capitol Hill. Shelton lost that race by three points, but he gave King his closest contest to date, piling his underdog campaign into a Winnebago RV, visiting all 39 counties, and earning 25,000 more votes than there are registered Democrats. Shelton hopes to build on that foundation in his 2020 race against Randy Feenstra, who defeated King in the primary. J.D. explains how his agricultural district has been hit hard by Donald Trump's trade war, and why a promise to his grandmother that he'd save his family farm pushed him to run for office. We also discuss his choice to run a campaign independent from the National Party and why that's important to him. Stay safe and remember to submit your ballots early and enjoy the show. J.D. Shulton, welcome to Politics of Truth. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, You're our first politician on the show. (laughs) And in fact, I guess in some ways we're coming full circle because the first episode of this was the day after the Iowa caucuses. Oh. Yeah. Our guest was Robert Costa and uh, he and I were discussing a narrative we didn't expect to be discussing and, and which is ancient history at this point. Oh my goodness. The challenge of the Democrats of actually running the caucus and counting the vote. Who knew just a few months later, the whole world and the narrative would completely shift to a pandemic. And now we're in the home stretch of a campaign. And every four years, we say this is the most important election of our lifetime. This one really feels like it. So here you are. You ran against Steve King in 2018. Mm-hmm. You took a district that was, I guess, plus Trump 24. Uh, 27, I believe. To 27. You lost by how much? Three points. By three points. Yeah. Here you are in 2020. You're taking another bite at the apple. (laughs) Things have changed. No longer Steve King. Right. Tell us about the state of the race as it sits today. Yeah. So after he lost his primary, I think a lot of people have this assumption that the the race drastically changes somewhat. It really doesn't for us. Uh, all of last cycle, we were very committed to talk about what we're for and not just who we're against. Uh, as a Democrat, I could easily just bash Kane day in, day out, and that wouldn't really solve the issues of this district. And so for me, it's, it's going to these places, going to all 39 counties uh, and, and listening and, and having that conversation about what we should expect in a, a member of Congress. And so this is the second most agriculture producing district in America. And so uh, there's a lot of rural areas here 
And what we need to understand is a lot of these places have not bounced back from the 2008 economic crisis. And a lot of the small towns are going in the wrong direction. And so we're showing up, we're listening. Uh, Last fall, we did a Don't Forget About Us tour going into towns of under a thousand people. And I mean, what you hear in those situations are not the things that are making uh, headlines on national papers. And so we did some polling shows we're neck and neck again. It shows the district uh, leans Republican, but at the same time, uh, we're at, at a plus 18 favorability. So uh, people like us, but they may not like the Democratic Party. So we try to find that little uh, area there to, to kind of weave through. This is why I wanted to have you on, because like I said, you're our first politician. And you know, you're running in Iowa 4, which is that northwest corridor of or section of, of Iowa, which I don't know how many listeners that this program has that are that are in your district. Now, I'm an unaffiliated North Carolina voter. Yeah. But I have to say, a lot of North Carolina is just like Iowa 4. And the issue I have with Democrats in the South is how they run. And you are an example for me. I look at you, how you're running your campaign apparatus, your ads. I'm like, that's how Democrats need to run. So first for our listeners, describe Iowa 4 geographically. Where is it? Yeah, so it's northwest, north central Iowa. It's 40% of the landmass of Iowa because it's so rural. Uh, The main cities are Sioux City, where I live, and then uh, Mason City and Fort Dodge and Ames. And Ames has Iowa State University. And so um, there's there's a little bit of everything in this district. And what we've seen historically in the 70s and 80s, it used to be Democrats who used to be in this district quite a bit. But then uh, the last decade or so, it's really shifted. And so I feel that both parties have kind of left rural America behind. And so uh, the one thing that we do have is Winnebago Industries. And so my vision from day one was buying a used Winnebago, throwing my logo on the side and really going nonstop. And that's what we did last time. And I joked that I spent more nights in a Walmart parking lot than I did in my own bed the last three months of the campaign. Well, my staff this time has stepped up and we're in RV parks now. And so uh, uh, it, it's been great. And uh, I love my RV. And, and I ask everyone at the end of every speech, I go ask them for two things. One is their vote. And the second one is to pray that make sure the RV makes it till November 3rd. Well, tell us about the RV for a second. What model, what year is it? Yeah, it's a Winnebago Brave 26A. And so uh, when I had my first vision of what I really wanted to do was was to get a used Winnebago. So I started looking online and I I didn't realize in 2015, they made these retro uh, looking from from the 70s and 60s, uh, they, they upgraded it and, and made a retro style. And it was way more than I wanted to spend. And this was last cycle. So I had a primary last cycle. I didn't this one I did last time. And we had a d- decision to make whether to go up on television, whether to buy an RV. <laughs> and I, I chose to buy an RV, which no consultant would ever tell you to do. Uh, and, and so that that's just part of what we were able and we were able to do both at the end. But uh, you know, when that thing comes into town, I mean, people just look at it. And so when we go into these small towns, it's not just showing up, it's also showing up with, hey, we're here, we're here to listen. And the thing that I'm most proud of last cycle is we got 25,000 more votes than there are even Democrats in this district. And so to me, that meant a lot of people respected how much we were went out there and, and really connected with folks. So you talk about waking up in, in Walmart parking lots or waking up at 
RV parks, you're not unfamiliar to living on the road and being on the road because in your past career, you played baseball. Yeah. And, and honestly, baseball was the best thing that got me into this because I mean, all the travel and, and like, I, I just, I'll never forget the pain in my arm, having to travel through the night, 10 hours on a bus and having to pitch that night. Uh, when you can barely lift your arm above your shoulder, it's kind of similar where day in, day out, it's a grind. And, and, but at the end of the day, you have a rally, you have a speech, you have a press or something that you, you need to make sure that you're on for. And so I, I think it's similar to maybe not bands of your stature, but like when you're trying to make it, I had a lot of friends who do the scene and, and on tours and they're, and they're in that packed in that van going from, and, and staying at friends' houses and couches and, and doing all that stuff. And it's a little, it's, it's kind of in between there. It's, it's, uh, I love it. I love being on the road. I love meeting new people. I love seeing the world. It, it, what's amazing to me is like the fourth district, if you came through here, you would see just fields and fields of corn and soybeans, but there's all these little pockets that are just so beautiful. And a lot of these RV parks are in like river valleys and, and things like that. So it's, it's really a blessing to me. And I know you really liked our launch video, and I like to joke that our, our video is going to, uh, once my campaign's done, is going to transition into an Iowa tourism video. <laughs> it absolutely should, and, and we're going to talk about that video in a little bit. But let's get back to your upbringing and, and your baseball career, because I think that you know the appeal of your candidacy and your campaign has a lot to do with being homegrown you grew up on a farm, you know what the life is like, but yet you're also a Democrat. I think in this polarized uh, political climate, all Democrats are urban elite intellectuals and they don't care about the land. You know, they more care about technology than they do farming and agriculture. So talk about where you grew up in your upbringing and then your baseball career. Yeah. So I'm a fifth generation Iowan, first to be raised in town. So I, I wasn't actually raised on the farm. Our family farms four hours from Sioux City. It's on the other side of the district. Uh, but every year I spent a lot of time out there, especially the two weeks after baseball, but before school started. But my dad was a college baseball coach. And so he, he got me into baseball. He got me into sports. And when I was 10 years old, all I wanted to do was play baseball or basketball. And my mom, God bless her, she wanted to make sure I, she, I was well-rounded. And uh, she got me into a bunch of different things. But one thing she did was she took me to a Tom Harkin rally. And uh, it, that was in 1990, so I was 10 years old. And it hit a little different. And then when you grow up here in Iowa and you have the caucuses and these presidential candidates aren't like that far away from you, can go to and see every one of them. And to me, that just kind of shaped it. I, I was an active voter. But other than that, like I didn't really volunteer on campaigns that much. Like I said, most of my upbringing was based around sports. And so I have so many teammates from throughout the district where my dad, uh, because he coached for 30 years, has recruited throughout the whole district. We just have these pockets of relationships with people who are active in sports and not maybe so political. And I mean, I'm passionate about politics and, and other people are too, but you, the majority of the people aren't. And so uh, when you can have that other connection, I, I think it goes a long ways and it, it's gotten our foot in a lot of different doors. And Actually, right now with our uh, campaign at our rallies and different things, we hand out uh, baseball cards. And, and on the back, I have my five campaign promises. And it's just something that a lot of people love. And I, like every time I stop at a gas station, I view that as an opportunity to talk with the gas attendant or the cashier and just 
say, hey, uh, I'm running for Congress. Hope you vote and uh, hope you vote for me. What kind of response are you getting? You know, it, it's been great. Like when you show up and have a conversation, I, every day there's somebody who's like, ah, I'm Republican, but I like what you have to say. And like, you know, when you can just break down the barriers of all the, you think of the nationalized, how how the parties are just button heads and and you're either this or you're that and all this stuff. If you can get, take that away and you just have a conversation with someone, that goes such a long ways. And every time at our rally, I challenge the people who show up at our rally to get uncomfortable and, and influence other people because that's how you win campaigns. Like TV ads can do so much, but like, especially in these rural areas, you got to get in there. You got to build relationships. That's the biggest thing that I'm proud of is last cycle going to all 39 counties at least three times. The first time I remember everyone was like, oh, God bless you. Somebody should run against King. <laughs> the second time is, oh, he's just not anti-King. He's standing for something. And that third time you saw that hope and you saw that energy. And those people were willing, because you continually showed up, those people were willing to work in and put hours and volunteer their time and, and work their tails off on, on your behalf. And that just pays off because this time we, we didn't start from scratch. And so we were ba- able to build this, this movement. And so I, I think the best campaigns are the ones where the campaign can only do so much and it's the grassroots. And in politics, grassroots gets thrown around way too much these days. But I, I literally got in my car with no name recognition on day one, uh, last cycle, and I just went from town to town to town. And, and here we are today with a, a chance to, to pull off a huge upset in, in a, a district Several years ago, no one thought any Democrat would have a chance. So you're polling. How close are you to pulling off that upset? We are in within the margin of error. And so we're about to do some new polling here because that was from July. I think a lot of things are working in our favor. We are the number one uh, district in America that's been affected by the trade war. And so, uh, again, we're agriculture heavy. Uh, The renewable fuel standard, what this administration has done and undercut that I know a lot of people who are like a lot of coastal Democrats are like, oh, ethanol, whatever. But this is if we plan to decarbonize or, or get carbon neutral as a nation, renewable fuels is part of that equation. And so this is my pitch to a, a lot of the, the coastal Dems is, hey, this is something that it's not only important for our climate, but it's important for this particular region. And this administration has just turned their backs on the Midwest uh, corn grower by picking big oil consistently day in, day out. And so uh, those are a couple of the issues. The other issue that I, I, I'm probably most known for is talking about antitrust and enforcing our antitrust laws in agriculture. And this is something that I think could go big in North Carolina too. You know, we have a lot of farmers here who are working their tails off, but it doesn't matter how hard they work. They're not going to get ahead because we have these multinational corporations that are are squeezing the farmer both on the input side and on the market side. And uh, we had the same battle 100 years ago, literally 100 years ago in 1920, the big four or the big five were broken up and they controlled 45% of the market share. Well, right now in hogs, four companies control 75% of the market share. In cattle, four companies control 85% of the market share. And so uh, what, what really hits home to me is Northwood, Iowa is near and dear to my heart because the whole reason I decided to run is because I made a promise to my grandmother uh, to protect our farm. And my grandmother was from Northwood, Iowa. So when you're making your case to uh, a Trump voter, yeah, 
what they say, I like what you're saying, but I'm a Republican. How far do they take it? Do they say, well, I can't vote for you because blank. I was going to try to say it's similar to being a musician and feeling what the crowd is and trying to adjust and offer that. Sure. Yeah. Because to me, every conversation, I pick up on things pretty easily. And and I think that's one of my best uh, attributes. And so if I feel like if if it's just a lost cause, you know, there's, there's only so much I can do. I'm not trying to convince every Trump voter to become or every Republican to be, to vote for me. I think the bigger thing that, and the easier thing is to get people who don't vote to vote for you and get them engaged. Uh, but when I do talk to, and when I get retweeted by ranchers for Trump and farmers for Trump quite a bit because of some of my anti-establishment points of view, like the antitrust stuff and things like that. But I tend to go back to the back of the baseball card and I, my first two is Iowans over political party and two, I will always show up. And so that's the biggest thing. The difference between King and I last time was I continue to show up. I went to town halls everywhere. I did the groundwork that he should be doing. Um, and then our opponent now is just saying uh, he has not held a public event where somebody can ask him a question. And, and he's never ran against a Democrat before. And he's from a county that's like 80% Republican. So he's staying in that little area. Um, and, and it is, I guess, safe zone where we're out there. We invite Republicans. We invite independents. We invite Democrats. We invite non-voters. We, we, we want people to come in and have that discussion because at the end of the day, it's listening for people from all over the political aisle. And just it will improve this district if we continue to have these conversations. Hey everybody, I know we don't get out like we used to, but I still like to have a close shave. I've tried every razor blade on the market and I finally found the best one for me and I think it'd be great for you as well. It's called Harry's Razor Blades. Have you heard of these? I'll tell you, the blade itself gives me the cleanest, closest shave I've ever had. And right now, for a limited time, listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com politics. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor, with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go when we finally get on the go again. Go to harrys.com politics to start shaving better today. President Trump has been having, uh, he's back to having rallies, full rallies, thousands of people, many unmasked, uh, very few social distancing precautions in place. How are you handling campaigning during a pandemic? Yeah. So, I mean, we're masking uh, when we go into towns and stuff like that. But uh, in so we're going to all 375 towns, but there's an asterisk. Uh, two days ago, we found that Pioneer, Iowa became unincorporated a year ago. So now it's 374 towns. <laughs> uh, but so we, we do a lot of different things. We'll go to the local grain elevator. We'll go to the local uh, plant, uh, manufacturing plant or ethanol plant. Uh, we'll go and just talk to a farmer. We'll go to a restaurant and, and a lot of different things. But then uh, about every other night, we hold a, a rally. So it's almost like a drive-in uh, theater type thing. So uh, we have the big RV in the backdrop. We have a pickup truck that I get on the back of the bed. And we have a radio transmitter and people stay in their cars and tune into a frequency. And they have been fantastic. And 
like at first it was really weird because like you'll say a joke you don't hear any laughter <laughs> and maybe i'm used to that but <laughs> um but but now like you get the you can get people engaged by having them honk and and do different things and so it, it's cool now but the, when i first when we first started doing it i got a little freaked because uh every once in a while someone would start a car and i'm like are they leaving did i say something wrong but then you realize, no, it was like 90 out and 90 degrees out and they needed just to start their AC or something. We actually played a drive-in concert a couple of weeks ago and it was a very similar thing where it's it's all a lot quieter and the response, it comes, but it just, there's a different energy to it. But yeah, this is the way we're doing it for now, I guess. How'd it go? It went great. We had, uh, I think, 1,500 cars and 6,000 people, uh, and everyone was very well behaved. They all stayed in or on their vehicle uh, masks. We did Charlotte Motor Speedway, and the, the people from the Speedway were incredible. The people who worked concessions were incredible. And we are two weeks out, and there are no cases from our show. Oh, that's fantastic. So, no, no reported cases from our show. So we feel like that's a big victory. I would say one, people need something to get out and, but to do it safely, like that's great on you guys. Hey, thank you so, so much. You are anti-establishment. Uh, your campaign is. How has the, the DCC, um, the Democratic Congressional Committee, uh, reacted to you? And what kind of support have you received from them? Yeah. And so I wouldn't say like I'm anti, like I'm anti-establishment, but it's not like the first thing I lean into. Like <laughs> i I'm frustrated with the status quo. And so I'm trying to do something different. And you mentioned earlier how our race looks different than other races. Well, that's partly because the model for a conventional campaign these days is you stay at home and you fundraise and that's all you do. But in a district like this, especially when you're trying to convince voters uh, to either cross the aisle or, or, or try to motivate people who don't vote to get them to vote, you have to get out there. You have to have that interaction and, and, and motivate folks uh, to get on board with you. And so uh, the DCCC model is, is stay at home and, and fundraise. Last cycle, because no one thought we had a chance, uh, they didn't get involved in our campaign. In fact, all my interactions, they, I think I sent probably 10 emails and I got one response once. Oh, no, two, two times. And the second time was, oh, I'm not your contact person anymore. It's these two <laughs> people. <laughs> and so... Last time, we just built and built and built and built, and it took 15 months to convince people that this was a race, this was a race. And then all of a sudden, the last week of the campaign, uh, there was a poll that came out that showed we were within one, and then just all heck broke loose, and, and we ended up raising a million dollars in that last week. And I mean, that was, uh, every time you press refresh on the computer, it was another $1,000 or something. Like, it was, it was mind-blowing. And the, I, I don't know if they did anything at the end or whatever, but after last cycle, they were asking me to run again. They said, if you run, we'll be all in. You'll be a top five race. Well, we launched and, and they wanted to have their claws in everything. And I was just like, no, you said you'd give us the freedom to run the race that we would run. And, and they kept on dangling carrots in front of us. And I was just like, you know what? We got to a point saying, Are, either you're with us or you're not with us. And I got to the point where saying, you know, I'm going to do things our own way. And so we publicly said that we're not accepting the DCCC money. Um, it's not a litmus test. It's not trying to, it just, it was the right move for us. And if they can help other people win races, so be it. But the way that we campaign, you know, when we moved the needle 24 points last time, 
I, I feel that we know what we're doing out here. And so I feel very strongly with the way that we campaign and, and what we try to do. And so I felt comfortable with that decision. And at, at every one of our rallies now, uh, I'd talk it out in, in the first part and saying, hey, a month ago, two months ago, we had to make this difficult decision. And then I say, honk if you're with me. And that is by far our biggest uh, honks. <laughs> I'll say that. So day-to-day issues, your race is very much focused on your district. But are you seeing the money come in from outside the district? Are there a lot of people like with Act Blue and these ways that I know I get little emails about somebody who's who's running? Full disclosure, I did donate to your campaign, uh, but I will get these emails like for Mark Kelly or in Arizona or uh, a congressman or a senator in Colorado or, or somewhere else. Through that mode of fundraising, are you seeing more money come in nationally or are you seeing it come in locally? Uh, it, it, it's both. We have a depressed economy in this district. And so there's not a ton of money, especially when you don't take corporate PAC money. Uh, there's not a lot of wealthy Democrats in this district. <laughs> and so we have to expand it. So, But ever since the second quarter I ran last time, so that would have been Q4 of 2017, we've gotten donations from all 50 states every single quarter. And it, it's a thing where you know, we were running against Steve King. <laughs> and so that draws people, you know, it, it's, it's like a moth to a flame yeah. uh, amongst Democratic donors. And so every day we get donations from people uh, all across the nation. And so uh, for us, it, it's more a grassroots type of, of style. We, we're so blessed. We have a, a strong email list. And, you, you know, we, we broke a record uh, for, for Dems uh, fundraising in June or the end of June, which is Q2 of this year. And that was even without Steve King. And it just shows that, you know, we're bringing a lot of people together. People like what we're for, and that's why they're, they're chipping in. And, and especially what I'm trying to do is, is show the pathway of what Democrats need to do, in, especially in rural communities. As we become more and more urban, suburban, and coastal party, there's a lot of areas. If we want to compete in the Senate, if we want to do better in races, we got to do better in rural and what we're trying to do is give that game plan uh, to folks. So your opponent's running on stopping illegal immigration. Talk about how big is that an issue in your district? So uh, again, getting kind of the, the anti-establishment part, last time when I ran, I couldn't afford a consultant. <laughs> and I had a friend of a friend of a friend who worked in D.C. or something, and they're like, oh, and they were just trying to help out. And they're like, here's some issues you should talk about. Here's something you should stay away. And one of those things was immigration. But as I went from town to town, the number one thing was always healthcare. But but one of the things that got brought up, especially by uh, people who are entrepreneurs or, or small business owners, was a workforce. And so here I am listening to these things. And, and especially the thing that really dawned on me was in Jefferson, Iowa, there is a grain elevator. And for harvest, they needed 39 employees to help with the harvest. And they didn't get one American citizen to apply. And I started saying that at events, and, and these would not just be democratic events, these would be farm events and people shake their heads or nod their heads. And they're like, yeah, no, that I have that same problem. And so, and because we've had Congressman King for the last 18 years, people just have this preconception that that's something that you should run on in this district. And it's so far from the truth. And, and now that uh, he's gone, I, I talk with a lot of, I mean, even before he's gone, I was talking with a lot of Republican people 
I, I talk with people all over the aisle just to hear what's on the ground. And now that he's gone, a lot of them are like, oh, well, maybe we can finally get immigration reform passed or something like that. What he was able to do was just put this stop on things and, and it's, it didn't help the district. And so uh, comprehensive immigration reform is something that I think can, can actually win in these places. You go throughout this district. And one of the few things that is going into these small towns is a, either Mexican or Central American grocery store or, or a restaurant. I mean, you look at some of the names on the high school that used to be Dutch names. They're now Gonzalez's and, and, and Ramirez and things like that. And so, and, and even my old high school here, just down the street is uh, when I graduated, it was 4% minority. Now it's 24% Latino. And, and so there is this shift that's happening here. And I, I feel people are understanding that if our agriculture economy, if for it to expand, we need that workforce. And so it, it is so far from the truth of what the reality of what this district really is. You got about 50 days left uh, in the campaign. Uh, I don't know when this will, will air, hopefully in the next week. Well, where do you go from here? Are there, are there debates left? Uh, we have two forums uh, with the corn growers this week. We don't have an official debate uh, scheduled uh, we're trying to, we said yes to every single one that the media has offered. Our opponent has, has not. Uh, and so we don't know if we're going to get an official debate or not. Our campaign is halfway through 374 mm-hmm. <laughs> now town tour. And so we got the other half to, to get through. Um, and then we should be done uh, in, the, in three weeks with that, I believe. And then that's when uh, GOTV, the, the get out to vote push, and, and so then we'll be holding different rallies doing that. And so uh, the biggest thing for us, it, it's, it's making sure that we have our volunteer base helping us out uh, by getting people out to vote. It's, it's getting people to our rallies, uh, connecting with voters, especially connecting with those independents and voters who aren't necessarily Democrats. I'm blessed to have such an amazing staff that, that especially during the time of COVID, when it hit early. Uh, our organizers uh, just saw very early that, you know what, there's a chance that we may not be able to door knock. And so we switched to digitally door knocking. We've been prepared this whole entire time. Uh, and, and so if anybody out there was interested in volunteering, uh, Shulton uh, for Iowa is our website. And that's the numeric four for the fourth congressional district. And there's something for everybody. It's not just uh, we have folks for phone banking and texting and postcard writing. And we have a data team that takes all that information and puts it into the database. We have a tech security team that protects our website and different things. And then we have a content creation team that uh, people who are more creative, uh, they can go there as well. So, you know, this is going to be an issue, I believe, for the Democrats down the stretch is that there won't be as many Democratic door knockers, which traditionally the Democratic Party has been so good at that, the get out the vote effort. Um, But there will be... Republican door knockers. Yeah, that's one of the strange things. So here in Sioux City, we had a progressive group. Uh, I think it's called Progressive Turnout Group or, or something like that. That uh, they're they were trying to get Democrats out to vote, and so they had door knockers. And one of the door knockers ended up getting COVID, and they shut that down right away. It's sad and it's tough, and especially here in Iowa, we're leading the nation. I think we're the number one in, in the nation on cases or, or per capita cases right now. We had a county last week 
or two or a week and a half ago at this point in this district that had more cases, just one county than the entire country of Canada on that week. We are going in the wrong direction here. We, we've had a lack of leadership from DC, a lack of leadership from Des Moines. Now that school's starting, I mean, I can only assume that it's going to get a lot worse in these next few weeks. And so you look at a lot of these rallies, like we're trying to do everything right. We're trying to do everything safe. And then you see down in Council Bluffs, there was a big uh, Republican fundraiser dinner and a hundred people crammed into a room. And you just, I, I don't know, we're still trying to contact every single voter. Uh, we're, we're just, we're, we're doing it in a different way this year. Well, JD, you're doing it in a different way, but I think you're doing something that is working. And I really hope that other Democrats, uh, Democratic candidates would uh, take your lead and a page out of your book. I invite everyone to go to your website because your amazing uh, ads are on there um, and uh, really just kind of presenting you as a candidate, but but what you represent, more importantly, it really does put your upbringing and the values of the fourth district of Iowa, uh, in the forefront and you're, you're kind of, you're in the background and, and that's kind of something we've lost. It's like personality politics. And, uh, I think you, you've kind of done a good thing to uh, have a well-ordered value system. Well, I, I deeply appreciate it. I'm really proud of what we were able to do last time and what we were able to do this time too, just the, our style of campaign, who we are and, and everything. Uh, not having to really compromise, but to be honest, like it, it's it's not just me. I, it's the staff, it's the volunteers, it's the supporters. I'm I'm extremely blessed to have a lot of people, uh, good people behind me. We'll keep in touch as the campaign rolls on, and and we'll be pulling for you. Absolutely, thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Politics of Truth is brought to you by Osiris Media, produced by Bob Crawford and Adam Kaplan. Our executive producer is RJB. The program was mixed and mastered by Brad Stratton, artwork by Mark Dowd. For other great podcasts that connect you to the artists and music you love, please visit OsirisPod.com. Politics of Truth.